0: Hello everybody and welcome back to The Great Scott Podcast. Today I'm joined by John Kerwin from The John Kerwin Show. How's it going, John?
1: Hey Mike, good to see you. Even though I'm not seeing you, good to hear from you.
0: Absolutely, same here. Thank you so much for uh, being a guest.
1: My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, I've listened to your show and... You do a good job, and I'm looking forward to this.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that, and uh, same same for your uh, your show as well.
1: So the first yeah, it's funny when you when you when you host a show, you kind of like realize how few people actually tell you that they like it when they like it like they'll say backstage they'll go by the way I really I really <laughs> like your show it's like I always walk well why can't you it on the air you're a you know, celebrity you know on my yeah, show absolutely. And, just, and then so in turn I always like to do that on the air because I know how that feels yeah. This, absolutely. this end and I go. By the way, Mike, I think you do a great job. I mean, it's incredible. What you got a great voice, and you're really interesting, and you care about it. People like, "Why the hell didn't you say this on the air, man?" <laughs> I'll tell you, the one person who did this was Bruce Stern. Do you know who Bruce Stern is? The great actor, Academy yes. Award nominee, Bruce Stern, and yes. uh, recently in the Faithful Eight and so many movies. Well, he was on my show, and he just stopped in the middle of the interview. And just talked about how much he was enjoying the interview and how, you know, he had been interviewed by everyone, John Carson so many times, all, all the great posts. And he just, and he goes, and you're really listening to me and you're allowing me to dance here. I just want to say how great this is. And that was such a grand gesture of his. And then it was on all our highlight reels, I remember. And it was like when, you know, the audience came in, that was part of the reels and saying that because it was, it was so generous of him to say that. Rather than do it behind the scenes or like in an email to my uh, town coordinator. By the way, you know, it was great. Wow, I really felt comfortable out there. So I'd always get that kind of feedback, but never on the air. So, anyway, enough of that. No,
0: no, no, I, I really do love it. You are my guest. So, uh, I always love hearing hearing from my guests. And, uh, uh what? Yeah, what yeah I've had some
1: amazing so. celebrities on the show. You know, now I do a children's show. So, I'm interviewing it's a John and Kids show now, which was created by myself and Christina Anapal. And together... From True
0: Blood. True Blood. We... What's that? From, from True Blood.
1: That's right. That's right. Christina was on True Blood. She was in the movie Black Swan with Natalie Portman and uh, so many, so many things. Anyway, so um, we did this the same thing, but for kids. And it's like the first kind of talk show for children. So... Basically, we have an all, all kids audience, and we have stars from Nickelodeon and Disney and so on. And it's, uh, it's going well. I mean, I, I, we have um, a big work, uh, a big deal going through, and I can't mention. I asked her before this podcast if I can talk about it. She said, Well, we can't legally yet, mm, you know, but right. it's, a bi- it's a big deal, and, you know, I'll tell you, it's exciting to be in these teen magazines. When I was a little kid, you know, i read like Tiger Beat or Teen Beat. In a million years, I never thought I'd be a grown man, I'd be in these (laughs) magazines. (laughs) And uh, I'm like in J14 Magazine, Girls World Magazine, I mean, it is, it's trippy just being in this kid's magazine. I mean, I'm always with a kid interviewing them, but still, the fact that I'm, (laughs) it took me this long to get into uh, these magazines kind of gives me a chuckle.
0: So, uh, so you talk about your talk show. Um, were you a, uh, or did you watch a lot of the Tonight Show with Johnny, uh, uh, and do you try to pattern that, uh, yourself after that?
1: Abs- obsessively. I watched not only Johnny, um, but uh, Dave Letterman, and Conan, and uh, Dick, Cav- Dick Cavett, who was a guest on my show. Um, so, so many, so many hours, as a child even. I mean, I just... I was, I'm an only child, so and my parents got divorced when I was very young, and I was given unsupervised uh, <laughs> um, leeway watching television, and I would watch till the wee hours in the morning, morning all the talk shows. So really, by time, I remember by the time I was like five or six years old, I already had like a comprehensive knowledge of late-night talk shows and comedy, wow. even at wow. five or six, because I was be watching it every single night. So, and then that continued all the way through college and and everything, and then I got the dream of being able to do that myself. I started out doing stand-up comedy, and that was where someone, a producer, saw me, and that was how I got my first talk show, and just a a real joy being able to do something that you always watched on TV. I'm from Queens, New York, and when I would watch television... It just seemed absolutely impossible that you can actually be on television or you can actually do what you're seeing on television. It just, it just seemed like a dreamland, like it happened. Even a lot of times I would say coming from television City in, in California, I'm like, where the hell is television city? The a whole city <laughs> of televisions. And this is, this is where they film these things these people are stars that you never would see in the real world or anything because it was so grim growing up. And uh, then to come out here and to uh, do that, and then to interview a lot of these same celebrities that I saw as a kid uh, on those talk shows, you know? Like, I remember it was such a thrill interviewing, I had the last talk show interview of David Carradine from Kill Bill and Kung Fu, and that was just an amazing feeling, just interviewing him, and we got along so well. You know, he was teaching me how to snatch a pebble from his hands, which was some um, kung fu, and uh, yeah, he really got along. He said he was a real, a real, uh, real interesting man's man, and it was just really, really fun, fun hanging out with him.
0: So uh, there's uh, well. Let me let me uh, ask you about this first before I I, I go into what I what I want to talk about. Um, take us up to uh, five minutes before you're supposed to go on the air. What what goes on behind the scenes for uh, for a talk show host?
1: Well, it depends. It depends the status of that day's show, what kind of problems you're having. Uh, sometimes there are technical problems and there are delays. There are audio problems. There are there are things with the audience. Someone is sick in the audience or something, or there's something going on. So I'm usually kind of, I have an assistant, and they'll report to me and just kind of give me an update. Everything is looking fine. We got you 10 minutes until we get out there. No. Um, other times I'll say it's going to be a delay because this happened or the video monitor isn't working or this camera isn't working or whatever. So uh, a lot of times I'll be reported as to what's going on. Now, assuming everything is fine technically and everything is looking good and the guests are there, sometimes the guests are late, sometimes they're in traffic, sometimes they get sick. We once had Adam West on the show booked, (laughs) Batman, and, um, he, he, he fell asleep and, and, no Adam, you know, and we called his public, oh my God, he's so sorry, he's sleeping, he's just waking up now, he's going to try and get over there, I go, Well no, there's no time, the audience is there, and he lives like an hour away, so things like that happen, you just don't, you don't know what's going on, so um. So that, that's the first thing that happens, I kind of try to status the board of how everything is going on in the studio, and then if everything is fine, then it's really about relaxing, and just getting ready to entertain everyone, Maybe going over my notes, you know. Maybe so, um, you know. Um, oh. Just a last minute refresher on, you know, the guests and and what I'm going to say and so on. But really, at that point, all the work is done, and it isn't like cramming for a social studies exam where in the last five minutes before class starts, you're gonna you're gonna really remember stuff. You know, it's, it's just kind of like to go out there and relax and have a good time. It's amazing how simple that sounds. You always hear about that, but. All the experts have said that before you start the show, just be in the mind frame of to have fun and to have a good time. And I've been told that by some of the most brilliant minds in the business. just sounds like nothing, but it's really not that easy sometimes if you're nervous or you've got something in your mind or you're in a weird mood or whatever. It's to let that go, to train yourself to let that go and to just have fun and have a great time for everyone.
0: So, uh, being a talk show host and uh, how you're you're usually on the other side of, of what I'm doing, does it feel kind of weird at
1: times when a someone's bit. Yeah, interviewing especially you? yeah, the first times that it happened. Uh, the first times it happened, I think, were for print uh, newspapers and magazines and things like that, and, and it was very odd being interviewed that way, because I could see they have their questions already, and if it's a face-to-face one and not over the phone, a lot of times you'll see them like, scrambling, looking for the next question, and all the things you're really not quite supposed to do. You're supposed to listen to the person that you're talking to, and then play off of whatever they're saying. You know there are, there, are, there are so many examples of hosts. Well, I won't mention. Will a guest will come by and they'll say, "So tell us about your trip to Hawaii." Like, "Oh, my trip to Hawaii was great." You know, and you know I got married, and then I saw like you know all these great sites. We go, "Oh, that's really nice." I bet the weather was nice there beginning of the fact you just got married you just got married not listening to so the fact they just said something that was important so really listening i think i went to ed mcmahon's house once and he was going to be a guest on the show and i and i went over there and i just remember him saying that you know every question that you ask a guest that question is in the guest's last answer does that make sense in other words, like when they're talking, your next question yes. should be a part of what they just said or a follow-up to what they're saying, rather than something that's on a list.
0: Absolutely, I definitely agree. I, I actually used to work in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in television production out in California because I, I, I used to live out there and. Um, it gets pretty pretty intense at times. I I, I will admit that, um, but uh, I also took a, a hosting Peter, class. I, I know uh, Mark Costello. I'm not sure if you know uh, who that is. She's Lou Costello's granddaughter. Yeah. So, um, basically, she, she. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, she basically just uh, reiterated a couple things as far as uh, hosting goes. Basically, one, uh, playing off or piggybacking whatever it was that your guest said as far as talk show hosts go, and um, who who your audience right. is very, pretty much very, very and, important. And, um, who your
1: audience is. Okay. That's really a lot uh, helped of me. I wouldn't do with this kid audience that I have that I did with the grown-ups. That's for sure. Yeah. So definitely knowing your audience. That is. Essential, but as far as the interview with a guest, she's right about that. that. That's basically what everyone says. It's easier said than done, you know. A lot of times, they will be on a red on a red carpet, and you'll have yeah. like the newer <laughs> red carpet kid um, interviewers. They'll have their phone with a whole bunch of questions, you know, and they'll just be staring at their phone, ask you a question, and stare back at their phone, not even listening to what you're saying, asking the next question, you know, and you know. I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, they're, they're, they're young and I know. so on, but like, that's a, an extreme example of why that doesn't really work, because you're disconnected with the guest and you're not listening to them. You know, but a lot of times they'll give you a gift.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've had that happen to me uh, as well, and um, there's no better feeling than that, and uh, knowing that you're doing your, your job and doing it correctly, or at least somewhat correctly. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and so, I do want to ask you something about John. Um, in in my research, uh, er, early on, uh, you knew uh, Gary Shanley. Right,
1: right, right. He, right, he right. was kind of Gary like, Shanling
0: Yeah, he, he was kind of your your mentor, uh, correct? He was, he
1: was, and it was to a limited degree. He was, I think, more of a mentor to Sarah Silverman and Judd Apatow and people like that. Where you know he actually was on the road with them and working with them and, and and so on with me, it was more of a correspondence and I would ask him questions and he would answer questions. And a lot of times it was some of the things we just talked about, you know, how to be a better host, how to be more in the moment, how to not be scripted, how to not be in your head. And he also gave me a lot of books to read and so on to, to help me get there. But a great guy. And, and, certainly one of the great comic minds of our generation.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, as far as comedians and comics go, Gary was really one of the nicer ones. There was, um, as far as... Uh, yeah, if
1: anybody, um, if anybody wants to like like Larry Sanders or, or It's Gary Shannon's show, if you ever see a stand-up show called Alone in Vegas that he did, I mean, it's just uh, some incredible joke writing. Uh, that he did on that. Just amazing. Right up there, I think, with all the great writers, Woody Allen and Stephen Wright and, and uh um, Brenner, all those guys.
0: And and one of the last uh, things that he did uh, was with uh, Jerry Seinfeld on Comedians in Cars getting coffee.
1: Yeah, and that was uh, very poignant, you know, and you can see how much they cared about each other. You know, Jerry was important in, in, in my life, actually, because... When I was working, I was an MC at the Improv here in Hollywood, and one night, you know, uh, he was getting ready to come on. I was MCing, and just out of the blue, I saw him in the wings there with this enormous watch. I guess it was a Breitling, and I just said, can you tell me how much that watch cost from the from the stage?" I said that. And he said, well, I'd be happy to tell you what this costs if you tell me how much that piece of junk you're wearing costs. (laughs) So everybody liked that kind of. And then I said, well, how about this? How about switch watches just for a moment, just to see what that feels like. So he comes on stage. He gives me his Breitling watch, which I guess is like a $60,000 watch. And I gave him this, you know, I think, $20 $20 Timex, and as, and as soon as I put on his watch, I immediately fall to the ground because it's so heavy, and I'm, like, writhing around on the floor, and then he puts on my watch, and he's, like, walking around like he has gangrene on his wrist, and just, like, the absolute disgust of having this cheap watch on his wrist, and then after that, the audience was enjoying that, I just said, that was great, now can we switch cars? <laughs> and... And that, that became um, something that a producer in the audience liked. And they said, hey, you're good with uh, celebrities. You should be a talk show host. Oh, and wow. really, from that moment on, things uh, changed. So indirectly, he helped. So- but, Gary, but Gary was uh, more about um, mentoring people and helping them and taking the time to answer questions. A lot of times, obvious questions that I had. And I'm sure annoying at times, you know, but... Doing a talk show, he was one of the few people in the world who really knew.
0: Absolutely, I mean, I cannot say, I, I definitely cannot say enough nice things about Gary. Um, he was just a true, true, genuine guy that really uh, cared about people, and like you say, really loved helping people.
1: So, um, but let me. Yeah, look. a lot of people, a lot of people help, you know, in in, in this world, which is good. I mean, I was helped by both Friedman, the owner of the Improv, because. I was one of a bunch of uh, kids that, you know, wanted to do stand up and he interviewed them all and uh, liked me and made me the house MC at the world famous improv, you know, so that was, that was important. So I always am thankful to Bud. Um, Jay Leno would give me phone calls and give me advice, you know, just, uh, it's really great when comedians help um, other comedians. I agree. Everybody everybody thinks it's kind of a cutthroat business and and everyone just wants to get ahead and hurt the other person, and step over them. Yep. But the truth of the matter is, many times, there's a lot of generosity within the business.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's more to them than just watching them on, on, on television, absolutely. So, uh, so you basically have been a comedian and a talk show host. Is, so what, what advice would you give to someone like me who is trying to break into the comedy and uh, talk show scene?
1: Well, you got to do it somehow, you know. I mean, that's that's really what it is. It's it's about working, just constantly work. I recommend seeing a movie called Comedian, which is uh, with Jerry Seinfeld, where he came back after doing his his situation comedy and decided to go back to comedy and start from ground zero with no material and just build from that. And it's a great documentary called Comedian, and I recommend watching that. That's almost a paradigm on how to start and build up an act and do the work that's necessary. Other than that, I was finding a way to get on stage. You know, I was into uh, Toastmasters for a while. Toastmasters is like this group where you get up and do public speaking, just being in front of an audience. You know, you can do that. It's very inexpensive, and you could do that every day if you really wanted to, you know, and just always be in front of an audience and develop material and stories and jokes and and right, you know. There's really no way around the uh, the work.
0: Yeah, that's definitely one thing yeah. that uh, I've heard Jerry Seinfeld preach. I mean, if you want to do this, put in the work. I mean, he uh, there, there's one thing uh, about Jerry. Um, he was on Seth Meyers, and uh, basically, there was no. So you know how how uh, television hosts will do pre pre interviews with their with their guest, and um, Jerry goes, "That's fine and all, but at some point, you do have to put in the work and actually." like, really do an interview without actual uh, cue cards or, or notes at all?
1: I think so. I think for it to be good, I think you need to put in the work. I mean, I think a lot of times I'll give a talk show to a celebrity who's maybe come off a successful sitcom, and their, their management team is like, well, what do you want to do next? And they're like, well, let's do a talk show. you know, And they give them a talk show because they have a, a big name, and then a lot of times they don't realize how much work goes into it, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm, I'm up all hours of the night just slaving over, uh, you know, doing interviews. And, and it, takes, it takes that work, I think, for it to be any good. You know, it's just, you just can't walk into it like it's um, a cooking show or something, you know, yeah. where you're just going to go there they're going to show you everything to do like you'll just be naturally you know, fun and buoyant and just get away with that and slide. You really do need to do the work.
0: Absolutely. For comedy,
1: you know? Comedy. Hard to get laughs, you know? You don't know how to do it. you got to constantly uh, put the hours in. Put the hours in and put the time in front of the audience. That is a, a key thing, being in front of an audience as much as you can. Someone went to uh, Gary Shandler and just said, is there some kind of a shortcut to being a comedian, just so I don't have to go through the drudgery of... Conditioning and going, getting late spots. Like, what's the trick? Yes, there's no trick at all. I went through (laughs) it. There's no, there's no shortcut. You know, you, you, you have to do the work. So I guess I would just say write comedy, write jokes, you know, read as much about the Franklin Ajay has a good book on uh, being a comedian that I recommend. And he's someone who's on a tonight show a whole bunch of times and just a great comedian and read all about comedy. Make your life, like, obsessed with comedy, so that's what you think about, you know, and then constantly writing jokes, and then, of course, constantly putting it in front of an audience and seeing what works, what doesn't, and that's how you get better and better.
0: Whenever you you were doing your talk show, did you ever uh, do any writing yourself?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had some great writers, too. Um, I had writers that worked with Jay, with... Letterman and Carson. I mean, I I worked with Carson's head writers. I mean, there was a time when I was getting material in the news. It's literally like Johnny Carson came back from the dead because I'm reading these perfectly written jokes that he would say. And I was like, it was like listening to Johnny, but it was his head writers who were working with me. Yeah, I've had some really, really great, great moments that have happened, but. Um, But, yeah, I would write as well. But what what that taught me, though, was even more important is to be an editor of the jokes. So a lot of times I would have a joke that would be, like, perfect for Johnny Carson but not perfect for me. So I'd have to retool it so that it would fit um, my natural way of speaking and my personality. So there's a lot of editing um, with the talk show,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, more so than joke writing. A lot of editing, like taking a joke, a kernel of a joke, and then just making it uh, right for me. And that's another skill that you have to work on if you want to be a host, if you're working with writers. A lot of times writers all write as if they're writing for Dennis Miller or they're writing for Jimmy Letterman or or they're writing for Jimmy Fallon or whatever. They get used to writing for a certain person and they don't really know your voice yet, but you know it, hopefully, or you're learning it. And then you take that joke and you just kind of make it your own.
0: So on... On your show, uh, who was your uh, toughest guest that, that you had uh, to, to interview?
1: Cloris Leachman. Cloris great Leachman? Great Cloris Leachman. Cloris Leachman was tough because uh, she uh, she decided she wanted to kiss me on the air. <laughs> and I think she was 82 at the time. And uh, I had never kissed a woman uh anywhere in that um, vicinity and <laughs> still have it to this day um, but um, she wanted to kiss her so I kissed her I gave her a light peck and then she's like come on you can give me a, a better kiss that." and I kissed her she's like putting her tongue in my mouth and I was like that was that uh, was that was a trip. And then and then right after the interview was over, you know, and the uh, audience loved it, of course, you know, but then after it was over, she goes, don't worry, I did the same thing with John Stamos, you know, and, <laughs> and I looked and I saw there was, I guess, a roast or there was something with her and John Stamos, and she did the same bit with him, you know, and I, I've i never met him, but I always want to, uh, I'll have something to talk about with him. You know, <laughs> how, how, how did that affect you? Did it affect you the way it affected me? <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways that was a tough uh, interview, but uh, other than that, of course, she was a joy. She's hilarious and uh, brilliant, and one of the great American actresses. Another Oscar, um, Oscar winner. Another
0: Oscar actually. winner. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, one, one, one more thing about about your show. Is there any guest that uh, that you were not able to get that you would have loved to have gotten?
1: Oh, so many. You know, there there, there are so many people um, I, I didn't get that I wanted. I was able to get one I want. I'm a big Quentin Tarantino fan, so I like this one called Jackie Brown and Robert Forster, It was uh, the star of that one with Pam Greer. And I was able to get him, and and that was one of, uh, really, just another great interview. But as far as someone that I, I really wanted, I don't know, maybe some of the comedians, you know, maybe some. I mean, Jerry on the show would be great. But you know, I I've seen them because when I was an MC, I would I would always introduce them, and a lot of times I would talk to them before the show. So it's kind of like I was interviewing them in person rather than on television. So I never really thought such such a loss of a comedian it's just because I knew them and I would speak to them. But I don't know. I guess you think about people maybe that that, that died that are impossible to interview, oh, yeah. Someone like oh, yeah. Bruce Lee. You know, I would like to interview Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is a real interesting, <laughs> a real fascinating guy. And do you know that he went to the University of Washington, Seattle, and his classmate was Jimi Hendrix. Oh, wow. Hard to believe. Wow. Bruce Lee and Jimi Hendrix uh, hanging out and going to school together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that seems like an unlikely pair to me, but uh, that's, how, that's how the nature of this business works, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm a black belt in uh, Taekwondo, so um, I'm into the martial arts, and so... So for me, um, if, I, if I could, I, I'd say Bruce Lee and uh, maybe Marlon Brando also, another person. Marlon Brando. Because I, I knew Marlon Brando when I was a little boy because he went out with my mother. So my, my mother was a, a model. And one day, I was, a little, I was like five or six years old. And this guy came over and she said, this is Marlon, you know, and it meant nothing to me. But he was like the biggest star in the world. And he got me this car this red car toy car and my mother was all ready to go out with him you know all dressed up in this evening gown and he spent like an hour with me just watching me and studying me as i played with this electric guitar um, electric um, wow. car. wow wow and made her wait there while he was paying attention to my movements and how i was uh, enjoying it or how i was bored by it just really fascinated by human nature and very childlike and so I guess I would like to uh, would have liked to have interviewed him because uh, he was my favorite actor. So,
0: there's one uh, l- like you say the the comedians. Uh, did you ever get to interview Rodney at all, Rodney Dangerfield?
1: Oh, I, in- I I introduced Rodney many times. Rodney would come to the improv and um and you know sometimes he'd come in like pajamas, you know, like with like ice cream stains on them. It was like really <laughs> funny. Like, didn't really care? And he was just. He'd just be in the audience there and he would tell me the way he wanted to be introduced. He'd go, okay, I want you to say we have a special guest in the audience. I want you to make sure that you're really uh, applauding aloud and and then say maybe we can get him to come up and do a few minutes, you know, maybe we could do that, you know. This is the worst Rodney, by the way, I've ever <laughs> heard. But um, so I would have to go we have a special guest in the audience and everyone would go Ooh, like a, and um, you, you may know him from Caddyshack and back to school he's one of the great American comedians maybe we, we can get him to come up on the stage for a couple minutes what do you think and then they would applaud and based on their applause he would either say yes and come up or he would shake his head no from the audience and I would know <laughs> that he didn't, feel, he didn't feel they deserved him <laughs> because they didn't <laughs> cheer loud enough or well, I didn't do my job and getting them to cheer loud enough. So um, I remember that whole little dance that I'd have to do when he would, he would be introduced. Mm. Then, of course, he'd go on stage, and he was uh, just amazing, you know? What do you think? Of- he'd start off, a lot of times he'd, he'd start off uh, saying, uh, I have no respect. The other day, my tie club caught fire. A guy tried to put it out with an axe. <laughs> that, was a, that was like an opening line. And just, <laughs> I just remember very, very strong, quick jokes.
0: Oh, wow. Man.
1: I'm sorry, you said who else? What's that? You were going to mention someone else?
0: Uh, No, no, no. Uh, I I, I just wanted to ask, um, what do you think of uh, comedy today versus how people like Rodney or when Jerry got a start or Gary Shanley was around? What what do you think of comedians today?
1: Well, I think a lot of things still work. I mean, I think if Rodney were alive today and he did his act, I think it would still get laughs. You know, Um, maybe partly out of reverence, um, but... Also, because they're just funny jokes. I think, I think any young men would even get laughs today. You know, I mean, but what has changed is that joke writing has kind of been replaced a little bit by storytelling. The, uh, kind of like the way Louis C.K. perhaps works and and, and many others, where there are jokes within a story, and a larger, almost like Bill Cosby, where he just creates scenarios and stories, so it doesn't really feel like joke punchline set up punchline, set up punchline. And even Gary Shandling was moving away from jokes a little bit, and he was t- talking more about stories as he grew as a comedian and and others as well. So I would say that's like one of the major changes, doing these ranting kind of stories as opposed to just set up joke, set up joke, kind of like Phyllis Diller, which isn't really done anymore, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, with Joan Rivers, even in the last year when, when before she died, I mean, it was just getting screams. I mean, and she was still doing, you know, um, what was done in the fifties, you know, to a to a large degree. Mm. So, um, but I, I would say that's the major change is doing just from uh, set up punchline to these stories that are kind of packed with jokes. But a little bit, um, a little bit maybe more realistic.
0: So let's let let us talk about your your child show. Um, so is it on the uh, same same network as your uh, um, original show?
1: Well, yeah, like I, well, it is um, now. But like I said, there is um, something brewing where you know, um, which I can't talk about, which is a larger platform which is where it's going. But I really like that. I mean, I'm surprised that I liked working with kids so much, you know, just um, interviewing them and talking to them, and they're, they're, really, they're really refreshing. You know, there's a lot of energy, and there's especially a lot of energy for the audience because the audience, we have all kids in the audience. It's from um, 6 to 11, I think, and then the parents are in a separate section. But the kids are just so full of energy and excitement, and the celebrities that come on the show They've never been on a talk show before, almost all of them, because they don't have such a thing. There's no such thing as a kids' late-night talk show kind of thing. So they're all excited to be on. So even though they're starring on these TV shows, it's uh, it's kind of a wondrous experience for them to uh, to be on. So I really like it. I really like it. And, uh, Do people and it's just ever... a different kind of comedy, a lot of energy, a lot of games you play, you know, and a lot of... <laughs> A lot of challenges. You know, challenges are really big with kids. You know, like a sour challenge. Like you'll each have all these different kind of really sour kind of candies. And then you got to see who can eat them without having to spit them out. It's called a sour challenge. But they have like a million of these kind of challenges. And uh, the kids love them. It's just compelling, you know.
0: I was looking on uh, your your website for the child show. I think I saw one photo where a couple kids uh, put a pie in in your face and uh that reminded me yeah. of uh of uh soupy sales uh those those days
1: that's right soupy sales and the three stooges and and uh johnny carson did that sometimes yeah a lot of a lot of pie throwing was really was really big and again you know it's a different kind of comedy for kids so when they can see the host get a pie in their face that could be like a lot of fun for them which you know i don't know if uh Grown ups sure want to see that as <laughs> much, but, but the kids, kids love it. And then, you know, a lot of times I am an authority figure or, or a friend or a vuncular or whatever it is, but it's still kind of fun to. I mean, wouldn't you love to have thrown a pie in your teacher's face? I mean, just, just fun to do, you know? You get a chance to do something that isn't allowed. And that's what the show is. The show is an opportunity for kids to be kind of have a, almost unbridled energy and just play and scream and have fun. And, you know, there's just none of the, um, requirements of school, you know, be quiet, do your homework, do this, you know, they can just be crazy. And it's, it's really fun and and they enjoy it. So yeah. So the pies are usually like a, a last part of the show where, Because once you have pie in your face, really the show is over. It's hard to continue in a serious interview when you have uh, whipped cream all over your face.
0: (laughs) So, would you say to a certain degree that you enjoy that, maybe a little bit more than the the original talk show?
1: I don't know. I I mean, both of them are are fine. I I like the original talk show for selfish reasons. You know, if I have somebody on that I was a fan of, that I grew up with, you know, their movies or whatever. Obviously, that has a little bit more of an impact to me than some star of the Disney show, which I've only seen in preparation for the show. So, in that sense, um, I like interviewing the grown-ups. But on the other hand, I really like the energy and the fun and the way it brings out the kid in me, the child in me, when I'm interviewing these kids and around this studio audience filled with kids. So, I really like what it brings out in me. It brings out the kid in me and a playful side in me. You know, and a lot of comedians really are basically kids, grown-up kids. Oh, yeah. You know, if you if you, uh, if you really look at them and their lives, it's, they're very childlike, even even going into middle age. And so that really brings that out in me. So uh, for that reason, I, I really really liked interviewing the kids and being around that energy.
0: Well, uh, first off, I just want to say, Congratulations on your uh, bigger platform that that you're going to get. I know that uh, you said it hasn't happened yet, but uh, congratulations, really. Um, Thank you. Yes. And
1: congratulations to you, too, on on your show. You know, one thing is that the way I started my show, and and I I got some money for it, is I went on a game show called Hollywood Squares. Yes. And I was a contestant there, and I was, like, this big champion, and I got all this money, like $55,000, and I was just winning, and... And I was able to just put that into um, this startup show. And so a lot of times you got to find a creative way to, you know, get some finances and to get things started. But I remember that was a big thing. And then I had Tom Bergeron, who was the host. He came on the show as a guest, and I asked him the the question that I think won me $20,000, which I'll ask you now if you have a moment, just to see how your uh, trivia is. Okay. Which actress has an Oscar-winning mom?
0: Which actress has a... Gwyneth
1: Paltrow, Melanie Griffith, or Kate Hudson? Which actress has an Oscar-winning mom?
0: Gwyneth Paltrow. uh, Can you repeat repeat the op?
1: Melanie Griffith or Kate Hudson?
0: Oh, Kate Hudson.
1: why would you say that?
0: Um... I just think that <laughs> uh, I, I I think that her her mom was a was an actress.
1: Well, yeah, they were all actresses. But you're right, you're right. Goldie Horn won an uh, an Oscar Best Supporting for Cactus Flower*. Yeah. And Melanie Griffith's mother was Tippi Hedren, who was the star of *The Birds*, which was a Hitchcock's movie.
0: Hitchcock, and then yeah. And Blythe
1: Danner, Blythe Tanner is uh, the mother of Glenn Close. you may know her as uh, the mom on. Meet the parents, you know, de DeNiro's wife, and spent so much of her career. But you're absolutely right. So it's nice that this podcast ends on a winning note.
0: Absolutely. Do I win $20,000 at all?
1: No, unfortunately not. <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry to the viewers, the uh, listeners that also got that right. Like, hey, I got it. You know? but, uh, Where's my that car? That is the answer. But, uh, <laughs> you got to get on a talk show and then get that question asked to ask, ask you. Then, then you'll win the money.
0: Absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much. God bless you, sir. And uh, again, congratulations on on your uh, success.
1: Thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure talking with you. Have a good day.
0: You too, sir. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.